Father, Lord God, we just want to thank you for giving us this time just to look unto you, Lord God, and just pray that you would help uh, the process that I've went through personally to uh, also maybe convict those as well, Lord God, in, in that corporate worship has a purpose in our church, Lord God, and it has a value to us as a denomination. Just pray that you would help reflect that through, um, through your servant today and just help that your spirit would move in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, the, the picture actually was, um, I don't know if many of you know, my, my good friend Jordan Zgarian, um, the Zgarian household, used to have this right above their TV uh, in the living room every, uh, for childhood. I remember walking to the pool, walking past it, walking when you go there for VBS or through the summer and seeing that picture. And it was always intriguing to me. It's a Norman Rockwell picture of a, of a father uh, watching his children and wife go to church. And this was, I think, uh, New York Times, they posted this, the Saturday evening post, 1959. Even at that time, they, they knew the concern of, uh, of forsaking that corporate worship. Um, and before I get to the numbers in the background, I just want to read quickly from Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. And just to give a little bit of a background of the structure, I wanted to have, um, you know, there's some scripture reading. I do have uh, quite a bit of numbers. I'm a numbers guy. Um, so you'll have to look at some of the stats in the background, which I found interesting, just on a on a, a global level, on a, 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 I guess U.S. Canada level, as well as our local denomination, and the impact that uh, corporate worship has had over the years. Um, and I want to just read the passage that I was convicted of on this forum, which is Hebrews 10, 19-25. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living word, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And as mentioned in, in the intro um, this morning, it was um, last fall where Brother Ronnie and I were um, nominated in Richmond Hill, and it kind of came as a shock. You know, our family was going through quite a bit of a transition. Uh, my wife started a new job in the fall, um, and we had a lot on the go. Our daughters were both just starting school. The oldest one is going back to grade one, and our youngest was starting junior kindergarten. So. Personally, it wasn't the right time. We Never is the right time, I think, for that. But I think um, you know, our, our, my personal walk with God wasn't the strongest. I could say that personally speaking. Uh, I remember driving to work one morning, and I remember praying. I said, God, do something. I need you to do something. I'm not in a good spot spiritually. And he did something, and it was pretty uh, life-changing, personally speaking. Um, and I think that's what I want to speak of today, is how he took that life um, that was so busy, so consumed by work, so busy, so consumed by family, and shifted it towards him. And uh, my wife went for the ride along with us and our daughter. So I want to thank you for that, um, you know, just that, the opportunity for our church in Richmond Hill to do that. And it's been a blessing for me, personally speaking. And um, that's what I want to speak on today a little bit on the stats and the history of our church um, in that regard. Excuse me, I have a cold getting through. Um, this is attendance in Canada. So I went from Canada, I'll go to the U.S., and then I'll go globally. Um, and this is what I viewed as not just being part of some denomination, but actually weekly attendance at a church. 
And you can see, going back to the 40s, 50s, around 50%. And um, you know, the blue dots are weekly attendance or religious service, and, attended, and the red dots are attended religious service in the last seven days. And you can see that transition going from 50. And in Canada, it's you know, around 10% of our population that attended church on a regular basis, which is a pretty staggering stat going from 50%. Um, it broke it down a little bit further. Um, French Catholics in Canada um, attend at least once a month is around 5%. Um, then you go um, at, least, um, uh, at least weekly is the gray bar, or the, the green at the bottom there, right? So the French Catholics went from the 96 to 16 down to 5%. Um, English Catholic, 33 down to 19. And in Canada, the, the Catholic um, group has a big influence because of Quebec, right? So they used to have um, all of the schools would be publicly funded because of the Catholic school board because of Quebec. But it's interesting even in Canada how um, they're not much focused on the religious component of the Catholic, but on more the language of French. So they've changed that even. They don't focus on the religious component. They're focusing on French, and core French or French immersion schools. Um, so you can see how even the, the Catholic uh, influence in Canada has even swayed and just now focusing on the language versus even Catholic as a religion. Um, evangelical Christians are still fairly strong uh, in at least weekly attendance of 40%. Um, but when you look at the actual, they, they said there's a, more of a halo effect. Um, people who say it on a survey are usually more prone to give a higher result. In reality, the number in Canada is closer to 20%, even of evangelical Christians who attend uh, on a weekly basis. U.S. is still fairly strong, and it's, you know, it's kind of had its ups and downs uh, in the U.S. This is a Gallup poll, uh, still hovering around 40%. Um, so similar to almost evangelical Christian in Canada, the total of the U.S. is around 40% that confess that they attend, at least on a weekly basis, um, some form of a, of a church, synagogue, or mosque, um, at least once in the seven-day period. Uh, the interesting part, I'm sure most of you are aware of, of the election in the U.S. and then the, the Trump, and you can see how um, your Bible belt in the core there goes from the white um, being... Uh, percentage who attend weekly services uh, on, on a weekly basis uh, is around 17 to 20 percent in the Far East. You have your Bible Belt in the core of the U.S. is around almost up 50 percent, and then it kind of is scattered throughout. Um, but it's interesting how still in the U.S. it still has a large influence of around 40 percent of a Christians who or people who attend a weekly basis. Um, what I thought was um, really a highlight when you look at some of these stats is when you look overseas. When you look at some of our mission groups that are out there. Um, Ghana, a lot of places in Africa, 83%, 85% of Christians attend on a weekly basis. And you go down that list and you can see how many of the developing countries are high, very strong percentage. They're passionate because it's something new to them. It's a new form of, 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 uh, of worship. Um, and then you can see a lot of the developed European countries um, you know, you can see uh, on the right-hand side, U.S. is around some number of countries around 50%, 47% in 2014. In 2013, Canada was 29%. And then you click at some of the other countries, France, 11%. And a lot of the countries, um, especially even Italy and places where, you know, you had the Roman Empire, um, and that's still around 30, 37%. So you can see how Europe has deteriorated quite a bit. Um, North America, around the 40%. But those developing countries, 
uh, over 80%, which really, when you think of um, those missions that are out there, they're doing amazing work for Christ. These are some stats, actually. Brother Willie uh, um, Reinhardt, my uncle, um, uh, put together, and it's um, showing ACC membership, both conferences, over, I think it was over the last, I think it started in the 50s, the mid-50s, um, all the way up until 2017. And so these are both conferences together, um, you know, and these are actual just members of our church. So not looking as much of attendance, but just membership of our church. And you can see it started around 2000, when the first time was tracking, peaked almost near 4,000, 3,800, and now is hovering just around 3,300. That's just in North America, both conferences. And this is just a quick slide showing the number of churches um, in both conferences. You know, uh, started around 40, peaked around mid-60s, and now it's hovering around low 50s. That's the number of churches in our denomination. Um, this is actually, a, I sent an email to um, as many as I can reach that were on um, the foundation uh, email list. And I asked just uh, general questions on the services of your church. I got feedback from about 15 churches uh, on that process. And it was more of just um, looking beyond the Sunday morning and to see how much attendance and how many people were there physically um, for morning Bible class, morning services, Sunday school program, um, afternoon services, and if there were singing services, midweek services, midweek Bible studies, youth group, and how many churches um, do online streaming or online sermons. Um, you know, the, the, the point I tried bold in the middle is Sunday morning services. That usually has the largest crowd. Um, it reflected uh, you know, 100% of the total um, churches, and there was around 120 on average, taking all the big churches and the small churches that responded, and 17 churches that received feedback on the survey. Um, when you look at Bible class, around 40% of the people that attend uh, our services attend Bible class. Um, and I got you know, 13 churches out of that 17 actually do a formal Bible class before church Sunday morning. And an average of around 26 people, sub-30 people attend. Um, the uh, Sunday school program is around 25%. You can compare that almost to the youth group is around 20 to 25% of the church. And uh, I was talking to Brother Adrian on that. If you would ever think of the areas that you would want to expand on or focus the most and get the large attendance in those two areas, in the Sunday school and the youth um, but it's a challenge. I know coming from uh, Windsor Congregation, we always had a large youth group, over 100 people. And then going to Richmond Hill, where it's a lot of um, younger, and now the younger are becoming teens, you have two teens, maybe four teens are eligible to be um, a youth group, and do you start a youth group from that? And it's a challenge. When you have an existing structure of a large church, it's easier to bring more on and transition from Sunday school to youth group to church. And a small church is a challenge. It's a challenge to keep them engaged uh, in the ministry. Um, afternoon services, um, you know, uh, it, it was <clears throat> still around, uh, you know, a good, good portion, um, you know, around 60% um, that I kind of showed the number. Um, but midweek services goes a little bit lower to around 40% of those uh, of the membership uh, attending midweek. Um, and, and it's a challenge in a lot of churches. What I found interesting, I even took the time of when the churches were um, and if you look, I think historically, um, most of our churches had, you know, um, three services, um, the morning, the afternoon, and evening. I think in Ontario, there's only a couple left that still do evening services at 7 o'clock, 
Most of our churches have evolved to a morning, followed by a break or a lunch, by services, and then singing right after. Um, so you can see that our church, our denomination as a whole, has evolved quite a bit to attempt to accommodate everyone's busy schedules. And there isn't as much of a, of a full Sunday um, in that process, and it's really a... Um, you still see, I, I can say as, as, a, as a trial minister, it's still frustrating. It's a challenge to preach to 10 people, to preach to 5 people, to preach to 20 people. Um, but it, it, it's interesting just to see how, even though our churches have attempted to evolve the schedule, it's still a challenge to get a lot of people beyond the Sunday morning. This is a very busy slide. I just took the numbers um, that Brother Willie had put together and just attempted to just to show a couple high-level stats. Um, uh, this is, again, looking at actually now splitting it off into our conference. Um, and there's around 2,000 members as of 2017. That's on the left-hand side. So I'm go from left over. Um, 2,186 members at 35 churches in our specific conference. Um, but when you look at some of the numbers, the top five churches, which are the largest churches in our denomination, they're over 1,000 members, which represents around, uh, around half the population is concentrated in five churches. So when you look at the other numbers, that leaves around 30 churches with sub-100 members. You break that down further, 18 churches have less than 40 members, which is around half of our denomination has around 40, sub-40 members, um, and 10 churches are sub-20 members. And I remember talking just on the way down with uh, Glenn Palnaki from Coconut Creek, and when you're sub-10, 20 members, when you're sub-10 members, you can't even sometimes afford to keep the lights on. It's a cost for a lot of our small churches just to stay functioning um, with that number of membership. And I found interesting also, I put, um, this was just based on population of our church and when they stopped reporting numbers of population. And the number of church closures since the 50, I think 54, was 18 churches have closed. And you can kind of see the numbers of certain states and what year I kind of put when the church started according to the numbers, the attendance of members, and when it ended. Um, and there's 18 churches. In even a state like Illinois, we had at one time up to five churches, and they've all closed down in, in uh, Chicago, Illinois area. Um, and you can see some of the ones in between. Um, and it's interesting that historically it, there's been ups and downs, some people leaving one church, going to another church in the area. Um, but there, you know, the number of churches has definitely decreased, um, and, and the population of churches have been concentrated to five large churches, and 30 representing sub-100 members. I found this fascinating because in Toronto, um, if you pull up on MLS.com, which is a real estate site, um, you'll see numerous large churches that have been converted to condos and converted into houses. This actually, the top picture, I think, is in Australia, where they took um, a traditional small church and they converted it into someone's house. Right? And you can see the physical... Um, transformation of what looks to be still remnants of a church in the front, and in the back, you can see the pool and the landscape. I think in Toronto, there's around 10 churches now that are listed um, as condos for rent or for purchase. And you can see just how they've taken a beautiful church and converted it to beautiful you know, living accommodations. Um, that's not to say that we should be fearful of the future, but that's just what looks like some of the future is occurring in a lot of our churches. Um, and you can see um, the impact. I then attempted, um, and, and I, again, I went to uh, a lot of the, because I had an email list of OMAC members, of uh, ministers in our church, I emailed them all. 
And I said, give me feedback on this topic. I'm curious to see what your perspective is on your local congregation, on attendance, and uh, in your church. And then the, the first question I asked is just, you know, most of our churches have three demographics. Some have two, some have one of those demographics, but most have the three demographics, which go from your baby boomers, your empty nesters, um, your Generation XY, your young families, which I fall in the category of, and your millennial, um, the young ones who are kind of coming through the ranks, right? Um, and I asked them for that feedback on those three areas. Um, you know, do you see any changes in attendance and, and desire for um, corporate worship? Um, I found one fascinating reply. I don't know if he's here, Brother Ted. I was going to actually read his because he gave me a very interesting, and it was almost mirrored the research that I was pulling up on those three demographics. And I'm just going to read his. Um, I'm sure he, he shared it. And um, I use a lot of the points, but I want to just read his on those three demographics. And he said, feel that empty nesters are almost always part of services because it is their comfort zone. They have always done it, but often start to lose focus and enthusiasm because they have become tired and don't understand the lack of attendance by others. So that was on the first uh, baby boomers. On the next stage, the families. Families have become much more self-focused and tend to feel that corporate worship service is overemphasized by the empty nesters. Many feel spiritually mature enough so that they don't need the church. They have their Bibles, and they can listen to more exciting preachers online. And they're trying to establish their careers so they have found church less important. They, don't, they have become more selective in their criteria of what goes on in church and become less focused and easily bored. Often church becomes a place of socialization rather than a place of worship for the Almighty God. And the last area, the millennials, the singles, Singles are engaged in attending church if their friends are there or if they're trying to establish friends in churches due to some disappointments in friends outside of church. If there is a larger group, they tend to hold together, but not always for the reasons of worshiping God. Some just socialize. Generally, they lose interest very quickly in anything repetitive. I feel they generally have been raised in a context of digital media and environment that is always changing, and it's hard for them to become unplugged and to have a direct relationship in God's way. And I thought that was an amazing summary of those three areas. And a lot of the points um, that I want to focus on in, in the next five minutes or so on influencing factors of why I myself have said this, and I'm sure a lot of people have felt why they can't come to church um, on specific times. The guilt factor, and Brother Ted mentioned a little bit about that um, you know, people, especially the baby boomers generation, have often felt a sense of guilt or obligation to be at services. Um, and that guilt um, often led to uh, an attendance, right? Um, but society has evolved, and that guilt um, has actually flipped the opposite. And it's become, um, you know, rather than feeling guilty for going to church, you almost feel like you're um, not really required to go, or it becomes uh, not, as, uh, not as, uh, as a guilt factor. And it was interesting to see um, some of the stats and the material online when people said that guilt factor, if your church or denomination is relying on guilt, it will not last. You know, guilt eventually fares, uh, fades away, um, and attendance will also fade away if it's based on guilt. The next area was entertainment factor. Um, for centuries, um, Sunday morning was literally the only thing that could be done. This is going back to the 50s. Everything was closed down. There was no access to anything beyond church Sunday morning or the day of Sunday. Most restaurants were closed, everything was closed. That was the only option. Um, today, there are a lot more options on a Sunday beyond church. The financial factor. 
Um, if you saw some of those stats in the 80%, most of those areas are fairly pov- uh, impoverished, and they don't have access to funds and money. And usually when we're the poorest is when we go to Christ the most often. And when you think of our society in North America, although there is um, a fairly large middle class and lower class, a lot of the wealth has gone higher in both those countries. And when there's a financial boom um, and the economy is doing well, the church's attendance usually tends to decline. Weekend work. Um, I put this in here because there's a lot of families that don't really have a choice anymore. Either one of the spouses has to work, or if you want to have that job, you're required to work on a Sunday. And similar to the entertainment factor, um, in the past, bosses and corporations respected that Sunday. Now they don't. And a lot of times, it's, it's a requirement to be at work on a Sunday. Dual income. And especially in a city like Toronto, it's challenging to live uh, on one income. And you have to have both parents traditionally working. Um, I read some of the stats in Richmond Hill. Um, we're kind of a unique bubble in Toronto where a lot of the spouses are able to stay home. But traditionally, in most uh, areas, you require dual income. And then that becomes daunting for the family. And the weekends is the only time you have, really, as a break, as a time for each other. Kids' events. Um, it's, it's become a part of our lives now. If you want your kids to travel, if you want your kids to get into sports, a lot of times those events now do occur on the weekends, and they do occur on Sundays. Um, and it, it's, uh, there's a lot of amazing things that can be gleaned from being part of an organized sport and, and benefits that can outweigh you know, the social impact and, and the challenges your kids face. But that's another thing that can potentially draw us away is the events that your kids have to attend on Sundays. Uh, mobility. Our society is much more mobile. Um, we travel a lot more. We have access to vehicles. We can move a lot more. And that impacts our local congregation. When you're not there the Sunday, if you're visiting in the church or even just going on vacation, our society is much more mobile. And it's not apt to stay in the same area as much and attend a church. Uh, individual worship. Um, it's always something that I know our church focuses on and most Christians need to focus on is how to get beyond Sunday morning. How do you get to that Bible throughout the week and really focus on the Word of God? Um, but that oftentimes, because that individual worship can lead to um, a sense of, I don't need the church because I can find it on my own. It's, it's, a, it's a, a balancing act, really, as a Christian. You're called to individual worship, but you're also called to corporate worship. Online worship. Um, there are a lot of amazing preachers, a lot of online um, sermons out there. Um, but in regards to that, I know most uh, evangelical preachers that are online will always tell you, find your local church. Find your local congregation to worship. Um, you know, we're called to grow spiritually. A lot of times that has to extend beyond Sunday. It needs to go beyond your Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. But you're always called to find a place of corporate worship every Sunday and worship God as much as you can, um, even though you, you can find value in online worship. Um, some are uh, self-serving worship. A lot of, you know, if you look at those numbers and the trends of our church even, a lot of the growth and changes was because of splits in the church. And a lot of times, um, you know, if you um, grow up in a large area where there's a lot of community churches, a lot of big churches that can draw you away from your small church because it's tough. You know, growing up in a small church, I grew up in a big church. Now going to a small church, I can see the challenges that are faced there, right? And I can see the value of um, selfishly wanting a big church again and wanting just to kind of blend into the crowd. Um, it's a lot easier to uh, take that worship and really bring it to your personal needs instead of, you know, the body of Christ. Another point was a lot of people, similar to, uh, you know, the impact of a dual income and a, and a weekend work, you just want a day of rest. You just are tired, you're exhausted, or society pushes us hard 
And that desire for a day of rest can often impact attendance in a church. And um, time is money. A lot of people, if they don't feel like they're being fed in a local church and that being growing spiritually, uh, their time is money. And some people just don't see the need to be there physically. Uh, one of the impacts uh, in being in a small church, there's a burnout factor. Some people just have that fear. If I go to church, I'm going to be given some responsibility. I'm going to be given duties. And I just want to avoid that area. And uh, that can have a burnout impact. You may have the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people are normally doing the work for 80. And sometimes you just don't want to be there physically because you're worried about the burnout impact and what you're going to be asked to do on that Sunday. Uh, I thought this was a, a beautiful quote. I don't know who, who put this quote together. I, was, I should have put the, the um, you know, given that person accolades, but I'm not sure. But it's not mine, but I found it interesting. It says, culture is not causing churches to compromise. Churches are compromising and culture saying it's okay. I had um, you know, asked these three questions um, to the ministers in our churches and the elders, and, and they kind of posed a question, you know, why church? You know, why do we need a church? And uh, one of the analogies I, I came across was a husband and wife, you know, as the church being the bride. Um, if you get married to your wife and your spouse in the first year, you still consume yourself in your work, and you consume yourself in everything else, and your spouse is a part of you, but isn't a part of you. A church is a very similar way. You know, you can be there physically, but if you're not engaged in that church, and you don't have a relationship with that church, you're not going to see value in that church. And when you look at something as simple as the New Testament, um, the New Testament has quite a few books and quite a few areas of um, notes to the church and written to the church and the value of the church and the growth of the church at that time. Um, and one passage that I found interesting was Mark 2, 27. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. And that's really what Sunday is about. It's about us. It's about us trying to get closer to God. It's about a time for us to put everything aside and really embrace what God has in store for us throughout the week. Another point of... of, of um, of, uh, of why, why, why church. And uh, I, I thought this was uh, you know, really beautiful. When you think of it, it's really meant to be a family. It's meant to be a body of believers. Ephesians four sixteen, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And one person I don't quote very often, but I found interesting, um, who put a similar context on the value of a family and a body of believers. Billy Graham wrote this on, on church attendance. He said, First, the missed opportunity to be part of, a, of the congregation, to sing to others, to give to God's work, and especially to get to know other believers and learn from them. But you also may miss the opportunity to serve Christ alongside with fellow believers. A vital church isn't just inward-looking, it's also look outwards and seeks to serve others in the name of Jesus. And the last point I had on there was, um, uh, you know, the, the, the family foundation and really setting a core. And I got a lot of good feedback from the ministers on that area of um, really what you do as a parent and the way your children see the value that you put into church is often the way they're going to have an influence on church. It was a tough transition for us just to get our girls to sit through an afternoon service. Um, our church doesn't have a junior church who tries setting some stuff, but it's hard. It's hard to plan a Sunday school program, 
plan an afternoon during the church program, and have your kids engaged throughout the whole Sunday. So getting them to sit through a Sunday afternoon service is a challenge. But I've seen others in our church um, who've started quite a bit younger, and their kids are already comfortable with it, and they're used to that. And um, I'm certain the younger you start with your kids, the much easier it is. We had to wait till ours were around four or five if we would have started maybe you know, a little bit younger. Um, I know it's a challenge. In our church, our basement is where the Sunday school room is, so most of the kids are upstairs in the church. Yeah, you hear the cries, you hear those once in a while, but as a, as a small church, uh, we enjoy those cries once in a while. Um, Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Matthew nineteen fourteen. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Um, you read that passage in Matthew nineteen fourteen. you think of, you know, it was written to the disciples, you know, you know, they weren't letting them go to Jesus. Why would they not let them go to Jesus? We have that same influence as a father and as a mother of our children. If we're preventing our children by not bringing them to the, the, the house of worship and, and, to, and to church and to place, yeah, you can be a, a great influence and you call to be a great influence throughout the week, but they need that time as well on Sundays. They need it for their growth spiritually. And the last point that I had on there, which is really where I want to take the topic in the last um, 20 minutes or so, or 10 minutes or so, is really on um, <clears throat> engagement versus attendance. The numbers are interesting, and the numbers give a lot of points, but it's more of a embracing your church and engaging in your church versus just physically being there. You know, it's nice to see a full church, and it's nice, uh, you know, for the few months I've been preaching, to preach the full church, but it's so much more beautiful when you see faces that are into the sermon. You know, when you see people that are engaged and are excited to be there, and you can see the difference um, you know, just doing this for a few months, you can see the difference of people that want to be there and excited and are engaged to be there versus people who are physically there um, but are not there mentally. And that's where, um, you know, when you think of going to church, there's two purposes. The purpose is to be fed and to feed my sheep. Right? It's that, that vertical sanctification and horizontal sanctification. It was Brother uh, Tony Munther, Dan's dad, I remember had a, um, I think it was a Sunday school lesson or a, I guess a camp lesson here on that, on vertical versus horizontal sanctification. And it's really between us and God and coming to be fed, um, but it's more than that. It's also, being, it's also feeding the sheep. And so I'm going to read through quite a bit of passages, and you'll have to forgive me, but I just, um, I found that there's so much written on the scripture about church and the body of believers that I want to take a little bit of time and just focus on some of those verses and the purpose of being fed on a Sunday morning. Spiritual growth, Hebrews 3, um, 13. <clears throat> and then I had also here Ephesians uh, 4, 11 through 13. Um, I'm just going to read the Ephesians passage. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the preaching of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come in the unity, in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of fullness of Christ. And beyond spiritual growth, um, you know, you have Romans, I had here Romans ten seventeen. so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You could hear the word of God throughout the week. You can go to your Bible throughout the week, but I think there's something in spiritual growth by physically being in a church and hearing that word of God preached as well. Um, on spiritual healing, James five fourteen. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and that they pray over him, 
anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Spiritual healing is a tough one because a lot of people, um, and that, some of the feedback even from the other ministers that received is, um, you know, often people don't want to come for spiritual healing because they don't want to expose themselves. They don't want to open up uh, because of the fear of gossip. And that's one of the challenges of being smaller denominations, smaller churches. The word spreads quickly, right? And it shouldn't. People should be able to come to church and look for spiritual healing, and the body should be able to provide that without spreading that to other areas. Another area that was received feedback on was peace, and having peace in that church, in that environment on that Sunday morning. Romans fourteen nineteen. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And often, when you have your kids screaming beside you or whatever stage in your life, it's hard to think of church as a place of peace. You just want to go in and get out. Um, but if, if you can think of that and just be able to take that moment and just think, this is, this is the body of Christ, this is for my fellow believers around me, and really try to embrace that time of peace. Unity, um, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Um, you know, unity and, and just being a part of a body of believers, there's power in that, because most of those people have been through similar things that you have been through. Communion, Acts 2.42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And the next section, again, a bunch of verses, but I just, um, I remember, I think it was um, Tom, Tom Hurtick. He was once in Toronto, and uh, he gave that passage about feeding my sheep. And how many times people come to church and they said, I'm not being fed, I'm not being fed. And he said, we're not always called to feed. We're, we're not always called to be fed, but we're called to feed. And if you think of your Sundays and the amount of times that you're just getting the Word of God, um, you should actually have more times where you're giving out the Word of God and you're sharing with fellow believers and feeding his sheep during that Sunday service and throughout the day and throughout the week. Um, passage on loving one another. John, 1 John four twelve. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And that's a challenge to love one another and love the body of Christ and believers. Encouraging one another. Hebrews three thirteen. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, honoring one another. Romans 12.10 Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honoring preferring one another. Being kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven, us, forgiven you. And bearing a witness of Christ. Acts 5.32 And we have a witness of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And I think these, those first, I guess, two, four, five points, I think people are comfortable. I want to go to church. I want to love people. I want to encourage people. I want to be kind to people. I want to bear witness of Christ. And usually those are, um, I would say, more of the passive. Um, there's still a lot of areas involved in that. But the last five points are definitely more challenging. You know, to be given to hospitality is tough. Because that means opening up your home um, and letting people into your private life, which a lot of people don't have that comfort level in doing. Romans 12, 13. Given to hospitality. 
It says, distributing the necessity of the saints and giving to hospitality. The next area of accountability and discipleship. And that's another higher call, not a higher calling, but a high calling that we have with our local denomination. 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Titus 2, 4, and this is specifically on women and, and the responsibility of accountability and discipleship. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. And I, I remember speaking in our church, we did the Mother's Day sermon, and just that, that beautiful impact of the older mothers in our church having an influence on the younger mothers. And our church has a lot of um, in-laws. A lot of the guys are there, but a lot of the, the spouses are um, our in-laws. And that's a challenge to be able to be fed and learn from your in-law. It's, it's, it's not an easy um, witness to take. Um, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, Iron sharpeneth iron, so man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And if you think of that, that power of uh, being sharpened at church and having a friend and an influence who can support you, there's power in that. Serving one another. Galatians 5.13 For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The last two, I think, are, as a Christian, personally speaking, the most challenging areas to feeding his sheep. Provoking one another, or pushing one another. Hebrews 10.24 And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And that's literally taking your brother that's struggling and pushing him and supporting him and lifting him up at that time when he's weak. Admonishing one another. And no one likes to be admonished, but there's, there's a purpose of it. In Romans 5.14, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and also to admonish one another. And as Christians, that's a hard thing to do, to call your brother out, to call your sister out and admonish them. But we're called to do that in the name of Christ. The last section, again, on, the, on a few scriptures, and um, you know, I have a couple more points that I can uh, conclude, but I would ask if there's um, uh, any personal testimonies. I want to keep it positive today, but if there's anything personal that you can give on your experience, we have a mic here, so in the last couple of minutes, if you can think of a personal testimony of your experience that you've had in, in corporate worship, I'd ask if you can share that towards the end. So in these last few points on uh, the impacts of being lax in your church and attendance, um, you'll have that lack of inner peace. And that inner peace is um, found, covered fairly well in John twelve twenty six. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And then uh, often the challenging part is if you're not there physically, that sin and the accumulation of sin, um, if you have no accountability, can really erode you um, physically. Uh, and mentally, because that mental impact can have an impact on you physically as well. And we really are called to confess one to another. Um, you know, and, and that's another high calling as well. In James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then another big area of concern is you could alienate yourself. Um, and in that quote of, No man is an island, um, or a couple or a family is not an island on their own. God never created us to live in and of ourselves. Romans fourteen seven, For no 
For none of us live in himself, and no man dieth in himself. And one of the impacts I could say, personally speaking, I've had a lot of friends who've been in our church and have left our church. I have friends who've... Um, and often the times is when you still associate with those people, they become critical of your church, right? And, and you become a product of your environment. And when you um, have those people who were a part of your church and left, they found some amazing churches, and I'm happy for them. Um, but it is a challenge to be around those people and continuously get the criticism back. Um, and often you then become critical of your own church. James 4.11 Speak not evil one to another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. And the second last area is, um, you know, the potential to become lukewarm. And that's really a scary concern as, as a Christian to become lukewarm. And it's covered in Revelations three fourteen through 16. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicean write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I word that thou art cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And before you get to that area of being lukewarm, it's a slow erosion. It's a slow fade, um, turning away from Christ and becoming lukewarm. And it's all about a heart condition. That's really what church attendance is about. It's about your heart conviction and, and, and really going from that physically being there because of guilt, because of whatever the reason is, to embracing why you're there is really a heart condition. Romans eight twenty seven, And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And this is um, it's a little picture of my daughter's, actually. It was funny. I think this was our, Alana was one, and I think Valencia was three. And we were visiting somewhere, and they saw a bird. Our oldest daughter is scared of anything, pretty much. And the younger one, she was excited. She saw the bird. Let's, let's go get it, Dad. And, and the younger one, was, or the older one, Valencia, is already running the other direction, right? And I just put this up there just as a challenge because personally, I went through this challenge and I would encourage anyone who has that potential or that conviction of the value of corporate worship to try to attend, you know, just for one month. You know, maybe it's September, maybe it's October and the kids are back in school and you're there physically. Try to push yourself to get to as many services as you can to the midweek, to the Bible class, to, to, um, to the morning services is a given usually. But if you can push yourself for one month and just take a step back and see what God is doing, I think it's amazing. And I remember some people have asked me, well, you know, Eric, you probably didn't really have a choice in that matter. I mean, you were put into a role and you were almost forced. And I said, yeah, was, I guess you can say that. Um, but there's still, there, there's a purpose. There's a purpose to God for each of our lives. And I would just encourage you, if you can, take one month, um, the month you know maybe you're not traveling as much, and just try to be there as much as possible and see if there's an impact in your life. And three other points, just a high-level points is, you know, when you're going to church, come to be not only fed, but to feed my sheep. If you're thinking of that mindset of why I'm here, yeah, you need the Word of God, but you're called to feed my sheep. And the, and the point that I really found convicting beyond just the physical number of people there is how engaged are you in that service? Are you there because of guilt? Are you there because uh, you always knew you had to be there and you want to be there? Or is it because you're excited to be there? Are you, are you, do you really feel the Spirit moving at that time? And to live it out daily. You know, Sunday, yeah, there's a value and a purpose to attendance. 
Um, but we're called to live out our lives daily to Christ. And that's the, the last slide, just a, a picture of uh, you know, forsaking or engaging in assembly. And um, you know, it's, there are quite a few churches like that, where they're empty churches now, and they're, and they're being converted to those condos and to those homes. Um, on the flip side, there, there's power. There's power in the church. There's power in bringing your children to the church, and there's power in Christ being taught every Sunday in churches. And that's, uh, that's it for my end. Maybe a couple minutes if there's any feedback um, or any personal convictions. <coughs> I don't know if it's on. Thank you, Brother Eric, for uh, sharing. And uh, just a, a few points that I thought of. Uh, it, you mentioned your girls in the afternoon. It was difficult to have them stay. In our church for years, we've had uh, less formal afternoon services where... Um, sometimes they'll do a, a, a slideshow or they'll be interactive, almost like a Bible class where you engage the younger kids and stuff. Um, and as well, you have, we let other brothers who are not ministers lead those. So we can see their talents and their abilities to know who to uh, appoint to Bible class teachers and, and uh, preachers in, in the future. Um, that has been very helpful to us. Um, another point. I had a few points. Um, smaller churches. Um, we encourage those from larger churches to come, and I know his brother as well, come visit and uh, be part of our congregation permanently or uh, for short term or just visiting. And especially I was thinking, you know, we live near New York City and we see sometimes uh, via Instagram or something that people have gone to New York City for vacation. And it's kind of disappointing when they've gone there for vacation and we're you know, 15, 20 minutes away and they haven't come to worship with us just for the morning. You know, um, I understand going on vacation and stuff, but I would just encourage towards the smaller churches especially to help lift us up and, and pray for us especially. Thank you. I'm passing up, Phil. actually have a question. I, I missed your personal testimony at the beginning, um, but I kind of got the assumption that there was a point in your life where maybe church attendance wasn't a, pri- a high priority? or I, uh, it Just physical attendance was Sunday mornings, pretty much, and then my brothers from Richard Hill can call me out on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, um, you know, we had a, a vote at our church for trial ministers, so it was Brother Ronnie and I were voted for trial ministers. So just that personal process of going beyond Sunday morning and being there um, for the afternoons and, and uh, Thursdays. And, um, you know, everyone has their, their things. Ours, for me, it's more of a commuter church. I'm about 40 minutes away. So it was a challenge to get through the weeks. Um, you know, I got my 407 transponder, uh, the toll road, which makes it a lot easier. Um, but there's a cost of that. But at the end of the day, that was just a personal conviction for me, going beyond Sunday morning physically being there um, into this role of ministry and uh, attempting to really engage in the assembly of our church. So my question for you is when you were in that state, before, is there anything that though, that maybe the membership could have done to encourage you or to help you, or would you have, you know, turned it off? You know, sometimes, you know, I grew up in the generation where there was there was no option. You did not, you know, you don't play sports on Sunday. You don't do things like that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a pretty radical. <laughs> but you know, think about all the other families that aren't put on trial ministry or have these kinds of things. Is there any, are there any suggestions you could give to the rest of the membership to give that encouragement that would have been helpful to you but not 
Yeah, I think um, what we started doing as a church, even we, we did um, Tuesday evening Bible study, right? So see, sometimes um, you just have to bring that person back. And to me, that was part of it, just having a core group of, of 10 brothers where we'd meet every Tuesday and go through a Bible study. You can open up a little bit more personally. And that's where I was able to open up a little bit more as a Christian, just to those 10 brothers, right? And we had some pretty solid Bible studies. Um, did it help this Sunday? Uh, to some degree, um, but I, I think just if there's an environment, you know, not everyone's going to gravitate to that Sunday morning. Even I grew up with Sundays, full days in Windsor. I mean, we were there from Bible class to the evening to going out to Harvey's after and packed days Sundays and packed Tuesday nights and then Thursday nights and then Friday was youth group and then going to smaller church where it's a challenge to have all those activities. Um, but that's, I guess, a personal thing for me with just having that Bible study on Tuesdays was a way to connect to the church beyond just that Sunday service. I've actually got a question for me coming from the baby boomer side of, you know, kind of being like you growing up and always being at church and knowing that that's the expectation and not understanding why others don't see the importance of that. So do I just be happy that they show up for just morning service, um, you know, even though we've tried to encourage people to, yes, come for Bible class, you know, you are missing something in that. Stay for afternoon service and, and fellowship, you know, with the, the believers. Um, but yet, you know, for us, we see probably more than a 50% drop-off in the afternoon. You know, our Bible classes, if you're lucky, maybe. 10 people. So, you know, do I just be happy for those that are coming? Um, or, you know, how far do I take it in encouraging others to try to, you know, try to make it to those other, other functions, you know, Wednesday nights? Uh, 12, 12 people maybe out of a membership of 60, 65. So, you know, what do I do? I'm asking that for you. Yeah, and, and just a general question. Go ahead. So, first of all, I want to say thank you very much. I appreciate what you had to say, um, especially with the thought of um, not being engaged. So, I grew up in a very small church. I moved to a large church. I've seen both perspectives. I know the struggle of both. There are problems in a large church, too with people who don't want to participate. You can hide a whole lot easier. You can disappear, and people don't notice. So I think that one of the greatest things to do is to engage them in a relationship. I'll give you an example. Um, just this past week, we have a baptism coming up next week. I had to prepare a meal for 600 people before camp, so it would be ready to go next week. I can't do that by myself. So I sent out an email and just asked, is there anybody available to come cut meat for 600 people? We had a wide variety of people that responded and came. Those people, some of them come only for morning. Some people, well, actually pretty much everybody there comes at least Sunday morning. But it was a, a wide variety of people. They felt connected. We stood around the island and we talked as we cut meat for hours. 
they're going to have more of a sense of belonging now because they did something for the church. Will they come for every service now? Maybe, maybe not. But they have that feeling of community. We have other things that we do in Kitchener that try to build up that sense of community, of trying to connect each other outside of church so that when they come, there's more of a connection between people. It's not 100% successful, but it is for those that, that respond to that. I don't want to come to a church where I don't feel wanted or needed. So maybe that's something to consider too. Just do something outside of church to connect. One of the ways just that I found personally is um, I know for a lot of our generation, even the younger generation, they're looking for electronic means to connect to them, you know, through, through Facebook or emails or different ways. And sometimes just reaching out to those individuals through that different medium of saying, here's the Bible studies on Sunday morning, here's what the lesson's on, here's some material to prep yourself for the lesson, you might get some more attendance. I don't know, I just found we're trying to push that in our church to communicate more electronically and to get things to others in our church beyond just uh, verbalizing and being there physically. Um, you're hoping to draw them in. There's another question at the back there. Go ahead. I have to say only, um, the Word of God teaches us <coughs> where is our heart, there will be our treasure also. God gave us six days for our earthly things. He took only one day for himself. What we, we say if God would say, and he took the short end of the stick, would say this way. What would we say to God if he would say, I'm giving to you only one day, and I want six days from you? We would say, unrighteous God. But he gave us more for our earthly things. And now with that one day, we want to take a half away because we have a good life. We want to go on vacation. We want to do certain things because on Monday I have to go back to work. So I would say our heart should be more focused that we don't miss the church. To have more fellowship with one another and understanding one another. When something is said from the pulpit, my father-in-law, when he was preaching, he always said, one is speaking and the rest of you, you have to prove is it so or not. So among us, we should try to do that more and that will bind us closer together. The ironing, sharpening iron, right? I just had a, a quick thing to share as well. Uh, it's kind of a catch-22 situation, as you were talking, Eric. Um, it wasn't until you got involved that you felt, you know, that now you were needed and there was more commitment. But you also mentioned one of the challenges there is people don't want to come to church because they may be given responsibility. And so if they sort of melt into the, the crowd, there's less chance of that. And so how do you balance the two where, you know, being a part of the, the as Martha was sharing, you know, you're developing relationships, but also you're contributing is actually a benefit to each of us as individuals. It's not supposed to be 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. It's supposed to be more widespread than that. But how do we do that? Because if we can find the solution to that, I think part of it will fix itself in the sense that the body is contributing, everyone is contributing to the functioning of the church. 
Um, just a, a, a testimony of somebody in our church who went through a similar experience where they you know, had young kids, they never came, and eventually as their kids were growing older, they had developed into a pattern Sunday morning only. And they finally started realizing their kids had no concept and didn't want to go to the afternoon service, and they realized, wow, we're really teaching them the wrong thing. And uh, they had to make some changes in their lives to commit, to say, we, this is what we're doing. This is no longer an option. Because they were haphazard in their, you know, sometimes they went, sometimes they didn't. Um, when they went, the kids are always complaining, ah, oh, it's so boring, I don't want to go. And there was always a fight until they made a commitment saying, there is no other option. And then the complaints melt away, melted away, and then it became a matter of, of life and something that they've uh, come to enjoy. Yeah, it's amazing to see how, how much children gravitate towards routine. You know, as, as a teacher background and uh, speaking to the teachers, kids look for routine and look for structure. If you can implement that on Sunday, it's a challenge, but there's, there's a value in that. No, sorry, I was just going to add to what Martha was saying to answer Roy's question. I found in our church, as it, you know, each church kind of fluxes, you really, the importance of listening to the Holy Spirit, that each one of us as a member of a church matters. You might have a conversation with someone that you're prompted to have with that no one else has that day because that's your job. But if you see that you matter and that other people matter to you and you're a family, that's where everyone gets engaged through somebody. But if you wait for somebody else to do it, it may never get done. So something as simple as saying, hey, let's have our families get together after Wednesday service or before for dinner, it's part of making a family, a connection. If each member takes the opportunity to do that, that's how you become a family again instead of just it's disjointed each of us are on our own. So it might get people more engaged that way. Any other feedback or comments? Thank you. Um, I kind of, we grew up together, together, so in the summary, you said this morning that we went from three services and a lot of churches have gone down to one. And as a mom now, I struggle a lot because uh, we are called to have uh, Sunday, as Costa said, keep it reverent, keep it holy. And what do we do to achieve that? And I struggled. Um, so from Windsor, I went to the sister church, and they and their services at 1 p.m. And for many years, it and it still is a struggle. What do you do after church? It becomes a very casual. You know, you check your email, you, you go out to eat, okay, I'll stop at the store and either return this or do that. And then I see that my daughter is watching what I'm doing. And it goes back to, you know, the way that I was raised. And I think it's very important to keep in mind that church is a place, or, or Sunday, is what do we do to keep it holy and what do we do to keep it reverent? Even, aside from attendance, what are we doing after church? I think it's a big... Um, there's importance there. I mean, I remember growing up and we couldn't even pick up the vacuum. Mom made the meal Saturday night. We didn't even cook on Sunday. So what are we doing for our next generations? I'm watching my daughter and she's just seeing how it's casual and it is a struggle for me in this modern world where churches become convenient. It's um, whenever it can fit in your schedule, that's kind of what you do. Where when we were raised... It was number one from morning to night. There was no, let me check my email, let me go play at a friend's house, this sort of thing. It just was very, we kept it very reverent. So, Thank you. 
Yeah, I think as, as mentioned, you know, the one pastor love the most is, is on the heart condition, right? It's where's your heart the rest of that day, even though you're physically not there. Or if you are there, is your heart there as well? Thank you. Appreciate your feedback.